0: listening to The Magnet Podcast. I I used to get so worked up about sketch shows, like every little word meant a lot and I would freak out. And now I'm like, oh yeah, this is fun. Like I don't, Nobody, no executive is going to walk over and say you can't say this word because this sponsor will not want to be our sponsor anymore.
1: I'm talking to Matt Weir. This is the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thank you for listening. Let's go with that because that's a pretty good place to start. Oh no, why oh no, I don't know. Oh, no, it's fine. That okay, was please. great. That was a good place. So that's so work. So just to catch people up, you've been working a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, uh, can I name the network that you've been working for? Or, or yeah, keep it sure. Off? So you've been doing a show for MTV. Yeah, Yeah. And uh, we were talking about kind of dealing with corporate culture and uh, kind of the way that you have to adjust yourself as a creative around executives and whatnot. And uh, uh, so where we had just picked up at the beginning of the podcast, we're recording right, right Cool. Where we just picked up is that it gives you more of a sense of like freedom and joy in the work that you get to do with nobody breathing down your neck oh, yeah. on a small 50 seat improv stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then it's, like, more fun. It's, like, if there's 10 people there, you have more fun. Because, like, oh, like, I can just do whatever I want. It doesn't yeah. matter. And then, like, when you go to work the next day or whatever, it's, like, okay, I need 10 scripts of this by this time. And we're going to shoot it. And you got to be there. And, like, the words, everything's going to change on the fly. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be ready to change with it or change the, for my, for my case, it was the writing what were you show? What were you doing um, so in the last uh, show joking off, I was the script writer, so I was writing literally I had to write twenty episodes that we shot in nine days, and uh, it was basically everything the host said and i would even I would go into his dressing room a few times a day and pitch jokes and then build jokes with him at the for the top of the show mm-hmm. and uh, what I learned from that was that you keep the host happy you get them to feel like they're funny so they're ready to do the show mm-hmm. and i have a feeling maybe they'll cut all of those jokes but uh i got some on that was cool that was fun but my main priority on that show was just making sure the script from the beginning opening joke to the end the fourth act was completely ready to go it was quick and the, the guy could read it from a teleprompter and uh you know, makes the show smooth because we shot in front of a live studio audience. Mm-hmm. So,
1: What does a script like that look like? Like if I were to look at like a finished draft that morning, yeah, <laughs> would, that, would it be like in a format that's familiar to me, just reading sketches or reading, um, reading theater scripts?
0: I think it's more like it felt, it was definitely a game show script, uh-huh. like more so than like a script script. And everything I've worked on professionally so far, nobody's ever really given me a format mm-hmm. or a structure. It's kind of something like, you Like for that show, I watched the show a ton and then figured it out. Mm-hmm. And then they had some older scripts, but they wanted things changed because it was the third season and it was moving from MTV2 to MTV and they wanted to uh, you know, bring some new life to it. Mm-hmm. But it, the whole time too, it was like, this is an improvised show, so make it feel improvised, but write it out. We got to make sure it's tight. And there's a lot of that things yeah. happening. So uh, a lot of, I wrote a ton of scripts and then I rewrote a ton of scripts uh, sometimes eight different drafts and then when you're there shooting especially in front of a live audience things change on the fly because things happen that you're not ready for you know the spontaneity of improv on the show mm-hmm. uh, and then it was like okay quickly rewrite this and we don't want to hold anybody up so you better hurry up now and there's a lot of people here that are getting paid a lot of money you know like as that type
1: of are you stuff. like always being reminded that shit or you just are aware of it um, you, you, have, it, you have a producer who's constantly telling you hurry um,
0: showrunner who was amazing and great and I learned a lot from but also like cracked the whip and made sure that I knew like your period better be in the right place because he's going to keep reading this like uh, yeah. Ron Burgundy and you know like I'm like okay yeah. like I know I, I have to be on my stuff and then I had, it was nice that I had like a whole script team I had like a script supervisor and then a prompter and then somebody else that was taking script notes so like it could kind of cover my ass if I was messing up. Because mm-hmm. uh, I got pretty burned out, you know, it was really long days. Uh, but it was, you know, I liked it. I, I kind of like that lifestyle, I guess. Yeah.
1: 20 scripts for nine shooting days. Yeah. I, and you're just, you're knocking out like three shows back to back?
0: Two a day, and then we had one day where there was three. Okay. And that was the hell on earth day but getting through the second one and then realizing we got one more always felt great and then knowing that oh the next day we only have two that's not bad like that was it i got used to it pretty quickly i was super stressed out uh but it was i liked it
1: i haven't seen the show can you describe it to me
0: um yeah uh it's uh it's a show where uh there's a lot of social media use, like Instagram pictures and hashtags and stuff, and it's kind of like at midnight, but for the MTV demographic, so it's like uh, pictures are thrown up, hashtags are thrown up on this uh, screen, and then there's teams of, three teams of two that come out and riff on it, make jokes, and a lot of jokes uh, are pre-written mm-hmm. on the show, mm-hmm. so I got a hand in that, which was, that was like probably my, the most fun I had on the show, but I didn't have a lot of that the time to do it because of the script writing okay. and all the other stuff I had to do.
1: And when you're working on a script for something like that, how are you structuring it? Like you said you got to look for what's happening in the fourth act. What what's expected in each of those acts? Like what how, what's like the progress of an episode of a show like that?
0: Uh, um kind of like I mean for that show it was like is like set up this next thing they're going to play and okay. give it stakes and like it's all about it, there's like the words you can say but you know uh what I learned is like don't worry about jokes as much. Make sure this thing is the words you're using hype this next game up and that you want to make sure people want to come back and watch it and that they're excited to see what's going to happen next. Okay. And that's kind of like what I took from that job is like, it's the dazzle of the words. Like okay. you got to be able to like dazzle people with what the host is saying. And then also like the host plays into it a lot. Cause as I, I was writing really trying to write really hard jokes for him at first. And then sometimes you get tripped up in the prompter cause they were like, kind of weirdly worded or whatever and that was like for me to learn how to write more clearly for him but then after a while I was like they want the show to be spontaneous I'm going to work with the host I'm going to show him the lines I'm writing and then say like here's a here's room to riff on this because you know like he's he was such a good performer that he could take it in his own way take it in his own voice Mm -hmm. and like I wanted that because that was the real him rather than like me, a uh, regular uh, old white guy walking into the room and pitching you jokes,
1: mm-hmm. you know, so. Did you have to, like, write specifically for his voice? Oh, yeah.
0: And I was, uh, I was dreaming in his voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his, his name's, his uh, stand-up named D. Ray Davis. He's mm-hmm. really funny. He tours a lot. I think he's on a tour now with, like, a, uh, Marlon Waynes from the Wayans Brothers. That's cool. But, um. He, uh, yeah, I was writing for him a lot. So much so that the language he was using was coming out of my mouth. And mm-hmm. it's like stuff I shouldn't have said. Mm-hmm. But he was totally fine with it because he knows I was writing for him. Mm-hmm. So there was a few times like, you know, uh, a mother F this. Or I don't know what you guys are allowed to say on this.
1: That we have no FCC rules here. Okay. This is, yeah. there's only like, there's like 26 people listening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Say the, whatever you want. <laughs>
0: uh Yeah. The scariest thing was uh I wrote a joke that had the N-bomb in it uh-huh. and I had to like say it to him and I prefaced it with, you're probably going to punch <laughs> me in the face. And then he like, after I said it, he gave me this look and acted like he was going to run out of his room to yell for everybody else. And uh-huh. then he's like, no, I'm fucking around, man. Don't worry. And like just laughed. And he was like, I don't care. You're writing my jokes. Like, yeah. it's just for me. As long as I'm not saying it on my own somewhere, you know, but, yeah. you know whatever. Like, uh, that's kind of that's the thing I've learned a lot too is like you got to throw out <laughs> you don't throw out your feelings like you still I still wanted to like make sure my jokes were like coming from my brain and like weird because I'm weird, but like uh you know I had to be like able to like get past like blocks that were like oh you wouldn't normally say this, but now you have to you have to make this stripper joke because this is kind of his voice or yeah whatever. yeah
1: it, it, which has to be kind of like an interesting thing like do you so I assume your jokes have to make you laugh first and foremost, Yeah, right? <laughs> For the most part. Yeah.
0: I mean, to this, I, I got to a point where I felt like a factory where I was like, all right, here's like six or seven I'm going to try to pitch this morning. Some of these feel weak. I'll pepper those around the, the stronger ones. Yeah. And then I'd be surprised because there was things I would not really think were good that I would pitch that he would really like. And then he would use and they would go over fine. Or there was stuff that he was working on that I'd like, nah, I don't think that's good. And then he would do it and it would kill. So it was like very... It was weird because it was like, oh, I don't like these, but I know they're jokes technically. Yeah. Um, And then they would work. It was just like uh, probably the mood I was in and knowing it's like, I got to get all this done. And, you know, like there was, there's always that pressure that you kind of just like, this is funny because I know this is the structure that works sometimes, you know.
1: What about like... It's a robot. Can... Yeah, comedy robot. Yeah, comedy robot. Can you... Like, what did you learn about just like the professional side of stuff? Because like, as a writer on a show like that, you are responsible to be aware of like union rules, for example, and you can only keep people for so long and and, like, you have to be on a timeline that fits the industry standard and whatnot. So like, was there like an adjustment period? Is that something like, does somebody walk you through that when you're first hired for a job or you just have (laughs) to learn through like failure and being yelled at a lot?
0: Uh, every job I've had like that, it's all learning there and in the, in, like on the, in the moment or in, on the spot. Mm-hmm. And like that job was just kind of like, Hey, welcome in. Here's your desk. Sit here, watch all these episodes. Here's some old scripts, write a bunch of scripts, come into the rehearsal, fail and see where you're not working and where your voice isn't working. Uh, then rewrite a ton of times. And then like, You know, I had like five different people I had to show my scripts to every day sometimes. And like, for example, the showrunner, once again, great guy, really like I always wanted him to see it because I knew he was very strict. He was a stickler for very small grammar rules that sometimes get thrown out the window when you write a joke because you're writing for somebody's voice, how they would say it or phrase it. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh. He would really, he would really be like, "Why would we have this line here?" He would like get angry, but I also get it because he is running a show with like a hundred different people on it, and they're all asking him to like look over things, and it's like, uh, "Yeah, you're right. Why would I have this word?" I'm not, I'm being very vague, but it's like, "Why would you have this word here?" This just like sounds boring, you mm-hmm. know. He would say stuff like that, and I'm yeah. like, "Oh yeah, you're right. Like, I'm an idiot. I got to go back and cut this one word out and then reprint 20, Uh, Scripts, Hmm. So a lot of you you burn a lot of trees, which is unfortunate.
1: I I got like a taste of that um, in Chicago. I was rehearsing a show when I did the Second City thing. And um, like they're they're very strict about like, no, you punch up this word. Uh, No, you said the and there's no the in that sentence. Cut that the out. It's like. The sense of like timing is so like minuscule, and the sense of the correct way to phrase something, and like exactly how a joke is supposed to land, is so kind of. It really hinges on on like if you take an extra second to say this thing, the joke doesn't work as well as if you like get to it with like a clip, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. and it's it like it's an interesting mental adjustment to go from the world of improv, where there's a lot of um, give. There's room to fuck up quite a bit yeah. to, to suddenly like being so like militant about it. Oh yeah. I, I, I wonder like for like a showrunner, do you think that it, that type of personality is naturally attracted to a job like that? Or do you think a job like that turns someone into that kind of personality?
0: Uh I think I think if you do that type of thing long enough, you know the rhythm you need to pull off a show. And I think the rhythm's more important than the actual words. And like yeah. I said, like the words were all about being like hyping it up, making sure people wanted to come back. But then when writing it, the rhythm was very important. So like if I added an extra line, it would break up the push towards that final game that everybody needs to see. And here we go, we're going to find out the champion. Like, And then you cut it in a line that kind of felt out of place it kills the rhythm it kills the momentum of you know the energy of the show which is you know like you know from doing improv there's so much that's just pure energy that will make people laugh Mm -hmm. and i think that's like something that uh you know it still works on tv shows but if you're like militant about lines like you have to be because you have 22 minutes to you know pull it on a show you know and then there's other like eight minutes for advertisers or whatever Mm -hmm. um Trying to, I want to make sure I didn't like dodge a question. No, I think but, you got it. Okay. So,
1: was it just you writing this stuff?
0: Uh, well, so there was me doing all the scripts, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, there was four other. We were called creative consultants because mm-hmm. uh, those are words they use for writers who don't get paid as much as writers are supposed to
1: because you're not like union.
0: Little industry secret, yeah, okay. kind okay. of. Um, so when you see like consulting producers and story producers, those are. Most times, writers, but they don't get paid the scale which, uh, like a WGA writer would get. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, they they were all, uh, so there was me, and then there was th- three stand ups, and then uh, another guy who, I don't know if you know Casey Jost, great guy. He's like a sketch improv guy mm-hmm. over at UCB. He was really good. Um, but we were basically, when the cast were doing rehearsals, we would sit in the room and like throw them jokes. And then Casey actually got on the show and I think they, they were bringing on some of those other guys to like basically not audition, but they were wanted to see how they would do on the show and Casey's great. So it was like a perfect job for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was like, uh, for the, the second week at least, like I was able to pitch jokes and they would send me packets every night and then I would go home and just try to write a bunch of jokes and then the next day I show up and people are like, all right, do you have a joke for me? Like um, uh, Vinny from the Jersey Shore was on the show mm-hmm. and I got to, they really wanted him to do well. You know, he comes from that reality show uh, and he's at, he's legitimately trying to do comedy and he's... In real life, outside yes, of that yeah, trend, yeah, And he's really funny, nicest nicest fucking guy in the world and it was like I want to make it I want to make jokes so this guy can tell that will work and I just want to you know there's like giving your giving your baby boy like a bat and telling him to go hit a ball like, I guess it's what that you would feel like if that you were a dad and yeah, yeah. scenario happened sure but um I got to write a lot for him and that was fun and like he had jokes I think he had a few of mine that got on the show and then I noticed that there was a couple other people that had some of my jokes I'm like oh I didn't ever okay whatever like that's kind of how it worked. Right. But, but that was, yeah. Uh, we, so how that worked was, yeah, the, the creative consultants, we'd all kind of hang out either in the, um, dressing rooms of the, the cast or kind of, there's like a hallway. And for me, because I had to run around all the time and get my scripts checked and then run to the host's uh, uh dressing room. It was just running through a hallway and then people would be like, Hey, can you help me with a joke? And then I would like, be like, okay, yeah, I got five minutes and then like try to like come up with something. Hmm. Um, not a lot of time to like sit down and grind it out unless I was at, you know, home at night at like, you know, midnight or one in the morning, like, oh okay, yeah, I got to wake up soon. What can I do? My brain sucks. You know, that type of feeling. Uh,
1: how long are these days? Um,
0: I spent shooting, when we started shooting, I was probably there at, like 9am to maybe 11 or midnight sometimes, mm-hmm. just cause we would shoot the episodes and then we would have like production meetings where they would decide what games and who would be on the show the next day. And then um, I was always constantly trying to retweak my scripts and then I would stay to like try to write some jokes and then I would always need a break because I'd be inside all day and then I would just walk outside and be like, oh, I got to stop and then go home and try to write more. Mm So it was long days, but I kind of done production for a really, really long time. So I'm kind of used to it.
1: Yeah. Well, you're like, uh, as long as I've known you, you've always been like, in the grind just like super super hard working Thanks. Uh, uh, like i don't think i've known you for a period where you weren't pulling like 18 hour days on something
0: well you gotta get money to eat food especially in this city that doesn't just hand out food all the time and that's but a fact yeah and that's kind of uh i blame all that of like kind of my mom because mm-hmm. she's a she's a workhorse mm-hmm. and uh i feel like it's just like something on my mom's side of the family that i think i kind of inherited where it's like It might not be the smartest, but we're going to keep working our asses off Mm -hmm. like that type of family lineage or genetics or whatever
1: it is. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Has that always been a thing with you?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I can be super lazy, which is so much fun. I can't wait to do that later today. But, uh, um, definitely it, it always felt like I had to like bust my ass at something and now it was like my not really. My parents didn't put pressure on me, but it was like, it's just kind of this thing, maybe where I grew up, very like blue collar, like I worked on a trucking dock for three years. Wow. And I was like a, I was like a hundred pounds and all these guys were like ex Marines or like truckers and they are pushing like thousands of pounds of skids on the trucks. And I'm like struggling and you know, they just make fun of me. And then I like make fun of them back. And that's all I could really do. I couldn't, there's no way I was gonna fight anybody on that dock, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think just that, like, kind of having those types of jobs where, like, it's like you're, you're a horse and you gotta push this into this truck and then it goes somewhere that you'll never go to because yeah. you're supposed to stay here and do this the rest of your life. That was, that yeah, that's what well, I
1: feel. It seems like, um, at a certain point, doing comedy you know, like when you don't have the luxury to sit and like daydream about what your career eventually is going to be, where so much of that daydream is, is just kind of based on like the fantasy of how talented you are and, and all the things that you can do. It seems like so much of the actual job of it is a lot more of being a horse. It's a lot more of like, I'm just got to get the job done, man. It, yeah. it, you just got to kind of like show up and, and so we got a
0: show tonight. We got to go up there with what we have and make it work. Yeah. And that's, there was a lot of, uh, Uh, A lot of times I directed shows here, The Magnet, specifically, like, The Misses or Fat Kids. These are, like, early sketch groups. Um, It was like, all right, this doesn't feel perfect, and, like, there is no such thing as perfection in what we do, but, like, you're always striving for it, and it's like, all right, well, this isn't perfect, but we're going to go do it. We're going to make it work, Mm -hmm. and you got to, like... As a performer, you have to, like, sell the shit out of it. As a director, you just have to hope that all of the seams are tight enough where things don't just fall apart and then everybody's crying and everybody in the audience hates you and wants their money back. Mm -hmm. Like that's never happened. So I feel like I've like, you know, held it together while
1: all the cast or whoever else was around did. So do you like, do you believe in perfect? Is that like a Uh, thing for you?
0: Perfect. Yeah. Um, I did for a while and then I don't know because I grew up like playing music and I had a I had this guitar teacher who was like classically trained and she's classically training me. And I used to like do these tapes to get in, do, into uh, Duquesne guitar school, which I would never get into. Mm. I wasn't good. And uh, it was just like learning like classical gas, like like just playing it all the time and getting it perfect and getting my fingers perfect and, you know, like all of that. And uh, after a while, I, I was very dead set on like, yeah, everything can be perfect. Everything can look perfect. And I think, um, and this is where I'm going to shout out the other Matt Weir. Once I started doing We're Matt Weir, that dude brought in this sloppiness that I feel like was needed to do comedy where it was like, yeah, none of this can be perfect. Jokes can be perfect, but not also. And the, the fringe, the, uh, the, the shit that you leave out that you don't feel like is perfect. That's going to be where like the style is. Yeah. Or that's like kind of this thing I've kind of started to believe years after seeing what we, like what we were doing. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is like, uh, not pure shit, but it's like, we're just doing something that gutturally we feel is funny and it might not seem perfect, but we're getting people to react to it and laugh and stuff. So for
1: anybody who doesn't know, Uh, uh, you're Matt J. Weir. The other Matt Weir that you're talking about is Matt B. Weir. Matt B. Weir, yeah. And you guys coincidentally met at the theater. Yeah. Are pretty much the same height. You're both real tall guys. He's like maybe an inch taller than me. Okay. And you both share an incredibly similar sense of humor. Dude,
0: super weird
1: how weird. happened. Yeah. And
0: it was, I met him because I started, I would like never really performed until I got here. I was like scared as shit. I couldn't talk to people. Uh, People told me to go to the Magnet. Uh, a great guy, Todd Bieber was like, go to the magnet. Armando's great. And at the time I think he taught like almost every class here. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I did like a class show and Nick Canellis was in the audience and he was like, Hey, I didn't know your name's Matt Weir, but one of my best friends from college was named Matt Weir too. And I thought you might be him. And then I was like, Oh, that's weird. And then there was all this talk of the new Matt Weir showing up and like, people are like, what are you going to do? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm just some idiot. At the time I was interning here mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up showing up and then we just kind of like looked at each other like, okay, cool. You're weird looking. Uh, great. And then we, I think we, before we even knew each other, signed up for like a duos class that uh, Armando was teaching. And we we were like, okay, let's just do two prof together because we have the same name and it's weird. Before you were even friends. Yeah. Before we even knew. And like the first thing I remembered is like we sat down in the class and like Matt had like the grossest fart and it like just stank so bad. And like, I was like, Oh, this stinky fucking guy. We going to have to like hang out with him. And sorry, Matt. Uh, but, uh, you but, did it, Matt. It's yeah. true,
1: man. You it's too bad. You gotta live with it. Yeah.
0: So that stinky motherfucker. No, we came up with a, a weird form with Armando and then I ended up, Matt and I hung out a lot. And we realized we were into, like, the same type of weird music, like Butthole Surfers and Dinosaur Jr. And just, like, we both kind of, I guess, had, like, this punk side that, like, I kind of, in high school, hung out with a couple bands and stuff, and was too much of a coward to, like, play in a band. Hmm. Um, And he was always, like, doing his own thing. He had a one-man band called Potato Chips (laughs) that I ended up joining, and we had, like, a I think we did two shows and we rehearsed all the time and we were like terrible or like Matt, we were great. I was terrible, Uh but it was like, uh, yeah, like we had the similar wavelength, the similar weirdness and, uh, that guy is like, and I mean this as a compliment, he's like super weird, but he has his like, he has his world that's on like nobody since that I've met or worked with has like the type of weird world that that guy has in his head Mm -hmm. and now he's writing books, so. Uh, they're going to be hilarious. Uh, so, you know, in like 10 years when Matt B. a a household name for novelists, mm-hmm. please read his books. Everybody.
1: And you guys are kind of perfect together. Your, your show, the improv show and the scripted show, are two of my favorite shows. Oh, thanks, man. And you guys are, are actually one of the only groups I can think of where the idea of there are no mistakes didn't just feel like something that you say, but don't really mean. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> incidentally, I never say that uh, there definitely are mistakes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know it. Well, but when you guys play it, there was kind of that, like just like this, like cheerful ability to like go with literally anything that the other person suggested. Yeah. It, it was like, no matter what it was, no matter how weird it is, it's just like, sort of, yep, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no problem.
0: Uh, I think the best way to say that is, uh, like the Chicago Timeout uh, write-up said, or whatever you're—I don't forget—it was like 2013. They wrote something like "artfully dumb," and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's us." Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, we were pretty dumb, but like, I don't know. Like, there's something—I don't feel like I had it on my own, but I feel like there was like this synergy. Yeah, it's a buzzword uh, that Matt and I had that we were able to. Uh, uh, do this weird thing and people would like be like, All right, yeah, we're going along with this. Yeah. For whatever reason. Like yeah. we one of my favorite times with him, we used to like travel and do shows and like sleep on my friends' couches or floors, or you know, and like that was always fun. And I remember we did a show in Philadelphia and we were doing this these characters, they were they're called talking and tacky. They were <laughs> backwards talking baseball hats. They were spokes hats. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know. We were Probably super high and wrote this idea, and it was just sounded dumb to us. Or like, whatever, let's do it. And we made these hats on the way down to Philadelphia that had huge eyes, and then they're so they're backwards hats with huge eyes, and then they had felt arms that came out, and we were puppeting them with like uh, I don't know hangers or mm-hmm. wire hangers, <laughs> and. The whole bit was about how they're like so high, but they have all these products they want to show you. And all I remember is like we started doing the bit, and like the mayor of Philadelphia walked in, and we're like, Put your motherfucking hands in the air if you smoke weed. And like the mayor's like 15 feet away from us, and to this packed audience, it's all like, Yeah, like freaking out. And I was like, Whoa, this is awesome that we got to like yell that in front of the mayor of Philadelphia. Who like years be- like three or four years earlier? I worked on like a commercial for his campaign or something. But uh-huh. he had no idea who I was. It all comes back
1: around again. Yeah, yeah. What was the bit you guys did one about um, like a graveyard for bomb sniffing dogs?
0: Oh no, it was like, It was something about like tricking your kids, telling your kids there's candy at the graveyard, so <laughs> they like go to the graveyard. I can't. That was like really early on. I don't know if we ever really like did anything with that, but that. Definitely is like a bee weird move where it's like anywhere you can trick kids into like hanging out at a graveyard. I don't know. That just sounds like a. I don't know, was that? I don't know if that was a sketch or an improv show. But yeah, that sounds like us.
1: There was like a, a thing because you guys did great sketch shows. You did Morning Party, which was amazing. Yeah, thanks. But your improv show was really amazing too, and and kind of like um, this is going to sound insulting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: uh, Do it. There's like when you're rehearsing improv, that's one thing. And then when you go to do a show, there's like this sense of like polish to what you're doing or or like a sense of I don't know what it is, like a professionalism or whatever that has you kind of like clamp down and censor some of the stuff that you would normally do in a rehearsal. And you do on stage less than what you would normally be doing when you're in like the freedom of a rehearsal room. and I never got that sense from you guys not that there you know I'm going to say it there wasn't that sense of like polish to it there was a sense of freedom and like real energy and real like confidence in each other and trust in each other so there was something I guess like punk is a good word for it but like punk minus any like attitude other than just the feeling of like the kind of directness of what you're creating right now is like exactly what you're supposed to be doing, exactly what you're meant to do. And, and you guys managed to like, I don't know. There's like a great overlap between your improv work and your, and your scripted work together. It was like all of a piece. It always felt like your personalities were a hundred percent in it all the time. Yeah. Really great stuff.
0: Thanks. Yeah. No, that's, that's something um, I feel like we like talked about our voice a lot. Like where I was like, is this us? Is this something we would do? Mm-hmm. And like, especially the improv years that we had, I'd say years. Cause it was maybe like two where I think we, we were like the first like Monday night show here. Mm-hmm. or Not like the first, but like, I think we split, there was like a duo tournament and we got to the finals and it was against Natasha Rothwell and Dan Hodep, who are amazing. I'm sure you guys all know them. Uh,
1: Hoda and Rothwell. Hodap and
0: Rothwell. Great yeah. they great. They're a great duo. And, they were splitting an hour with us and we, they were like this, like fine wine of improv and we were just like diarrhea water. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) uh, whatever. Like it worked out and we like split with them and, uh, I guess Peter at the time was the artistic director Mm -hmm. and we just kind of like ran wild. And then at some point like HODAP and Rothwell left or did they went to do something else. And then Matt and I had like an hour improv show where it was just the two of us doing like 45 minutes. And it was like, why there's no way you can like, for me at the time I I had like a year or two of improv experience and I was, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do something crazy. And then Matt's going to freak out about it. And then I'm going to say something crazy and Matt's going to freak out about it. And that became like our thing. Like mm-hmm. even Peter was like, you're, you know, how you guys work are everything gets calm. And then you sit and you say something completely insane. And then Matt gets big and animated, which he is. <laughs> if you, anybody who hasn't seen him perform, he's amazing. Um, he would just be big and cartoony. He's like, he's a living cartoon. Mm-hmm. The closest person to him it's like a living cartoon is Branson who was also Branson Reese, who became a huge part of where Matt Weir, the name breaking third member of where Matt Weir, as uh-huh. we called him. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were, we were loose, uh, again, diarrhea water or whatever I called us earlier. We were that, and we definitely pulled that into our sketch. And like I said, like I was saying earlier, Matt really opened up this thing for me where it's like, it's okay to fuck up. Mm-hmm. It's okay to like not draw on the lines. Um yeah that's,
1: that's I, a that's a perfect way of putting it yeah. that's like the best description
0: yeah and he there's definitely something I didn't learn about myself until I started doing this stuff, but I was like, oh yeah, I did have this rigorous music thing that I or like training, and then I also did a lot of art when I was younger and i was I was like six doing art classes with like sixty year olds yeah my mom would just like send me there, and then it's like, do this beautiful mountain painting, and I remember there was like all these beautiful paintings, and in mine it was like a shitty mountain and then I had like robots shooting each other. On. Yeah. But what else is a six year old going to do right. in an art class? I'm amazed we even got to the mountains. Yeah. I don't, I still remember cause there's like this little red like robot action figure I had yeah. and I remember drawing it into everything that I had like made back then. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just remember that.
1: Well, you had like <clears throat> when you're like six, like six to 11, you have like your pet obsessions that just kind show up in all of your artwork. Yeah. There's like everybody goes through a phase where there's just like some guy chucking grenades in like every picture that they're drawing, no matter what it is. Yeah, you know,
0: everybody saw Commando. We were the we're about the same age. Yeah, so yeah, totally, we saw yeah. Commando, and yeah. it's like <laughs> everything it. has a guy throwing a grenade. That's
1: in it. it. Yeah, I I saw Missing in Action too with Chuck Norris <laughs> when I was like 11, and for like three years that was just like all I drew. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> just like <laughs> Korean Berets in the jungle. Wow. That's it.
0: Wow, man. That's I didn't I wouldn't expect that from you. You don't yeah. seem like a Chuck Norris action movie guy, but I have you all wrong.
1: Nah, not. Nah, it wouldn't be my preference to sit <laughs> down and watch a Chuck Norris movie. But it was when I was eleven.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I still like. There's like great movies coming out now, and like honestly, to me, like movie movies at a movie theater are meant to be. Now they're meant to be big roller coasters because, mm-hmm. like, you know, these companies that make them spend billions of dollars, and then they just want as much money in return as possible. So they're gonna make them broad. They're gonna make them big. They're gonna put. Every fucking superhero you've ever known into it. Mm -hmm. But um, I feel like that's like fun. Like I used to be kind of snobby about it. I'm like, Avengers 2? Mm -hmm. They already made one. Do something new. And like now I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I want to see like a car explode 40 times. The same car. I don't know what I'm talking about. But the point is like those types of movies from the 80s especially I think are like great because they're just kind of dumb
1: they're 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 very like free of pretense they're yeah, not they're yeah. not and, and the, the, like those movies too i just saw um and now i'm blanking on the name of it but it's a documentary on netflix about the guys who ran the studio that did like all the chuck norris movies and, oh uh, um, yeah golden globus
0: they're uh they're canon canon films canon they're films. great that's an amazing documentary yes that actually that's something i saw within the past year and that uh I, I did a pilot with uh, Billy Bob Thompson last year, and I think that was, like, this... We were watching that as we were doing it. We are like, yeah, "Yeah, like, that's what we need to do. Like, just do the thing we want to do. Well,
1: it's interesting, like, how passionate those guys really were. And they they just churned out such crap. Yeah. It was all all garbage. It's
0: pure diarrhea water.
1: Yeah. But but there was, like, real, real passion. And they really believed in what they were doing, too. Yeah. And, like, like, it's like anything, you know, like... It's not really like blockbusters in and of themselves aren't bad. It's bad blockbusters are bad. Yeah. Like cynical blockbusters that don't, you know what I mean? Like that aren't, they're not trying to do something with it. Yeah. Whereas like even in, in that, like I, I watched this thing recently about Michael Bay, <laughs> you know, who's yeah. terrible, but Take like... that back. Dude, no, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care who heard me say it. Yeah. He's listening. I don't care he's if definitely listening. himself...
0: He's definitely listening to this episode.
1: I heard Michael Bay spends time going through as many obscure podcasts as possible to look for the next big idea.
0: Yeah. Well, here you go, Mike.
1: <laughs> I have about a little of this for you, Mike? <laughs> and Mike, I you like this one.
0: That's my attempt at a transformer.
1: That's pretty good. <laughs> right, thanks. I'm not a VO guy, but
0: I nailed that, Michael Bay. He
1: killed it. But, like, this thing was making the argument that, like, as much as Michael Bay's movies suck, (laughs) there's actually, like, a real passion behind it. Yeah. Michael Bay's big problem is that he knows how to make stuff feel really gigantic and impressive and and dramatic. He just doesn't have a sense of when not to do it. So he does it at all kinds of, like, crazy weird times or yeah. it's, like, so much of it in one movie that it kind of blurs together, and does, which is, like, totally true. Yeah. But they actually, like, they break down, like, individual shots and individual moments, and you see that, like, well, within the context of, like, this pure schlockiness, this guy actually, like, composes it really, really well. It's just... He doesn't let it land. He then has to compose the next Keep, thing the same it way. He keeps flying. It keeps flying, like, and, yeah. it keeps lying and, like, and it like fucks the whole thing up. But you have like a weird begrudging admiration for like, oh, you do crap really well. You take crap really seriously. Yeah,
0: yeah that's fun. Yeah, like uh, uh, the, the the thing I did with Billy was kind of that. The idea was like, let's like have fun and use make like a lot of weird special effects. Like we have a scene where a guy's head gets crushed. Uh, Evan saw it give him the thumbs up Comes but up right it's here. like really yeah thanks man but it was like one of those things where um it, it was just like this is so fun to sit around and we had like this great uh this this great special effects artist her name's Merritt evelyn uh she worked on like um uh the slashing in fear town usa which are like big small produ- like film productions the guy brandon bassam did uh And we pulled her on our shoot and she was like making blood for us every day, like fake blood, not real blood. And then, uh, you know, like made me look like a dickhead, which was great. Like I shaved my, she like helped me shave my face and went and colored my hair and gave me these white streaks. And I just looked like this piece of shit. And it was like exactly (laughs) what I wanted to look like. And then, uh, but yeah, like figuring out the head crush. I think we did it like two different times. And the first time we're like, uh. The brains didn't fall out of the head like we wanted it. And it's like, that's the stupidest thing to think. But it was like, for us, it was fun. Like, I, I grew up watching a lot of horror movies with my grandfather. And I loved, like, like they're brutal, violent movies sometimes. But, like, think about the people that are, like, figuring out how to, like, make a head explode.
1: Nobody's Nobody's more passionate than... Than those people, yeah, right, nobody but
0: those people work their asses off to make it look realistic or like stupid. Yeah. I always like
1: when it looked dumb, like the toxic Avenger,
0: yeah. anything trauma was like, yeah, this is so blatantly stupid, yeah, but uh like that stuff's so much fun, so we kind of packed we trying to pack uh a lot of that into like maybe forty five minutes of a something that's not a short film any longer, yeah, so but uh yeah, like that the that uh wanting to. Just make a thing and make it artistic, but make it stupid. That was kind of what I think where we were with that.
1: It, yeah, it's it, well that, that like brings up an interesting thing then about like being kind of true to yourself. Oh yeah, being like honest to your voice and, and like doing the best job of bringing that to life, whatever your voice happens to be. Yeah, which I think about a lot. It, it, you know, it, it, it when you kind of like overreach and you're trying to kind of produce something the right way which is to say the way that it's already been done before. Yeah. versus you have this like impulse to want to do something your way and you want to do it as best as you can. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying.
0: No. That. But what you're saying makes sense because it's like it, instead of leaving like uh fingerprints that nobody recognizes, it's like your thumbprint. What the fuck does that mean?
1: No, yeah, I but think that so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, it's like it, it's it's being very serious and very very perfectionist. Yeah, perfectionistic. It's being a perfectionist about the shit that you would care about, rather than being a perfectionist about the shit that's supposed to be perfect. Yeah, because like getting the brains to fall out of a crushed head the right way is something that like I don't know. You gotta you gotta nail it the way that it is in your mind. You can't like you can't be sloppy about that. Yeah. it actually takes a lot of precision to make something look really sloppy.
0: Yeah, well there, there's like. A good example of something that I really, the Billy and I both really wanted in what we shot was there's a very short scene where the lead character jumps out of a moving car. Mm -hmm. And uh, we like wrote that in. And then we didn't shoot that until a lot later because it was like, oh, this street we're shooting on is like too, there's too much traffic and it's dangerous and there's cops everywhere. And then like, I think for both of us, we were at a point where it's like, we need to have this in. We're going to do whatever it takes. We don't care if we get arrested. And like, I think we did like five or six takes of like Billy jumping out of the moving car while I was in... Here's the secret to the movie Magic. I was in an all-black suit in the passenger seat. and When Billy would jump out, I would wait for the car to clear the frame and then would jump in the driver's seat, (laughs) shut the door that was left open, and keep driving on. And I had so many people... Cars that were like pulled up on our ass when it happened were beeping. They would drive up beside me and stare at me, and they would just see this black shadow figure <laughs> driving the car and freak out and drive away.
1: It is so dangerous. It was really
0: dangerous. <laughs> but I loved it. I'm so happy. It looks so cool. So I was like, I was like happy with like putting my life in danger. And yeah. we like, we, we actually, out of all the things we did on that shoot, we practiced that the most on a side street to make sure that, you know, we didn't die. You know, we had the DP was, like, I need the shot to look right. Our DP was from London. Yeah. And like, you know, we had <laughs> to make sure. From old timey
1: London too. He old was, timey London. Yeah, he was a Cockney from old London. Is this Cockney? I don't know that. I can't do accents. I'm terrible. But no, it was, you got it at first. And then I, once I named it Cockney, then I fucked it up Yeah. For yeah. As
0: soon as it's named, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I changed it. But uh um yeah, he like, you know, it the we just had to have everything lined up perfectly because we needed we maybe only had one chance to do this and we had it we ended up doing five because it was never good enough yeah. so at least for me or billy it was like nah he could run faster out of the car yeah. no he could jump further you know like yeah, all yeah. that little stupid shit that could have killed one of us yeah but uh we're alive
1: so the uh, like you're kind of you there's part of your life that's like working in the biz and doing stuff on, on MTV and writing for the people. And there's part of your life that's developing your, your thing. Um, how much do those two like overlap? How much is it, it, it like, is your work, your passion, is your work the thing that you use to kind of like learn the skills you need to do the next oh. thing that you want to do? How much of a plan do yeah. you have for where you want to go? Totally.
0: Like, um, back when I was in, high school I made a bunch of weird short films for a psychology class I had and they one was about pure one was about peer pressure the other one was about depression and I shot them with the same group of dudes that I had kind of grown up with like we all had a similar sense of humor and uh the both of them intersected and they were both this is a long way of telling it but both of them were things that Would never be shown in a high school today Mm because they were like way too fucked up. I
1: feel like we were very lucky at the time that we were in high school because we could get away with a bunch of shit. I was was just talking about this with Megan the other day. I got away with some shit in high school that they would have definitely called the FBI now.
0: (laughs) Pre 9 11, bro. But like, yeah, I mean, I had a, I did this like history project on the LA race riots Uh and I like had a video where we like, we were like, oh, like black people were fighting white people. And then it was like a shot from Enter the Dragon with the black ninjas fighting white ninjas. Uh. And it's like this <laughs> nowadays I don't think they'd be like, no, this is inappropriate. Yeah. But like, <laughs> uh, anyway, I shot all these things and uh, they there's so much fun. And then when I got to college, I went to college to be a history teacher because I kind of like was a big pussy about what i wanted to do yeah. or like where i grew up you worked on a trucking dock or you like worked at a government office or something where Where are you from harrisburg pennsylvania okay central pennsylvania east shore uh i gotta get that out there it's a big if you're from the area you'll get why east shore west shore is like a thing um but um
1: cool so if you get that reference tweet at us that, yeah uh, <laughs> what's our twitter handle do we have one yeah. magnet Theater. Could, me, real simple.
0: Let me know where you're from. Tweet <laughs> at magnet Theater. Show me some love if if you're from the East Shore, because uh, you know why that's such a big deal there. i will get into it. But um anyway, uh I went before I went to college. I had a bunch. I was like, I'm going to go do animation. I don't know anybody that animates. Don't do that. And then like at one point, I was going to work at the Harley plant, like cause there's a Harley plant near where I grew up cause it's fucking America, bro. But like, um, I wanted to like detail Harleys. I wanted to paint Harley's cool colors. And like my friend, his dad was like in a biker gang and like died really young. So it was always like, yeah, he's cool. He used to eat glass and beat people up. And that's like the life I thought I was going to like kind of be in. And then once I got away from all of it and my friends were like, drinking and driving pretty frequently I was like oh yeah I shouldn't I don't want to do that yeah. I'm too much of a sissy so like that's what I would be called When I, every time I go home they're like oh the pussy's back uh-huh. but uh, anyway I went to school to teach <laughs> history uh, I had this holocaust <laughs> studies professor who like was so fucking cool I'm like <laughs> uh, <laughs> he um, he was like yeah like history's like once you learn about like the worst things that humanity has done to itself, then like everything else is a joke. Mm-hmm. And like, I started like really being like, Oh yeah. Like I like jokes. They're better than talking about like or writing papers on like how women had it so much harder than men in, uh, concentration camps, which is totally true. Like, yeah, dude, like dealing with kids and stuff. I don't really want to get into that. It's a whole other podcast. Yeah. That Lewis and I are doing der- the the right after, after this
1: one. Yeah. Right after it, our, uh, our our great atrocities of the 20th century. Yeah, podcast.
0: yeah. Oh like all that. Uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Ignore the rest of this bullshit. I'm just look
1: like, for us on Twitter. It's uh, hashtag Great Atrocities of yeah, the 20th Century. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great Atrocities of the 20th Century.
0: Uh, we'll be working on a 21st century. Wait, I don't know what century it is. We're, yeah, we're in the 21st. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm an idiot. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, So anyway, uh, at some point, I was like, oh, like I, w- I like being funny. I guess I was very shy, so I didn't really do it out in the open too much. But um, at some point, me wanting to do comedy led me to uh, the Digital Media Center at my college, Westchester University of Pennsylvania. And these people were just like, yeah, we have, uh, here's editing labs, here's, here's cameras, here's a studio, and like nobody was using it. So um, I found that and then I quit school because I was like, I hate this. And then I drove around the country with a friend. He was like moving because he was in the military, and then I decided that I was like, I want to do film, and I want to do comedy, and I just want to learn everything I can about the production end because maybe one day I'll be able to make my own stuff. And uh, so I did. A, I spent a lot of time learning cameras. I spent a lot of time learning lights, sound, like everything. Editing. I edited a lot. The that digital media center ended up giving me a job where I was just like editing like student projects. Um, but this is when I went back to school. I ended up going back to school because nobody in my family had like graduated from college and I felt like this big deal for my parents to like go through it. So I went back. Uh, I stayed stuck with a history major because I, I almost changed the acting and then I met the acting teachers and I was like, oh, fuck this, yeah. fuck theater, man. <clears throat> yeah. And like uh, anyway, just stayed on the history track and then the whole time looking up Second City, which was like a legit thing, like writing like uh, like uh, the, about the bell floor declaration and the establishment of Israel. And it's like, oh, I hate this. And then like looking up second city class. Oh, that's cool. But, um, the idea to cut it short, the idea was, and now thinking about it was learn as much as I can in production, do as much comedy and writing as I can. And then maybe hopefully someday make my own thing mm-hmm. or like be an asset to people that are making their things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Because of that, I got into the Philadelphia uh, film and video and TV world. And I met a lot of people that, like, you know, were great and helped me out. I have one guy. He's, like, I consider my mentor. His name's Jim Massey. I know you're listening, Jim. Probably not. But uh, he, he was a shooter for Letterman for a long time. And then basically the past, like, eight years of my life, I've been waking up early to go to New Jersey to meet him. And we would shoot, like corporate videos for a big company or, like, small commercials or whatever. But it was just, like, me and him. He would taught me cameras, sound, and he just relied on me a lot. And, you know, like, definitely was, like, the working... He's, like, this guy that I, like, never want to fuck up in front of. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I have many times. But, like, he's just the guy that makes you, like, own your responsibilities and, like, step up to the plate and get the job done. Yeah, And uh, that guy... I owe a lot to him because he's definitely kept me, kept food in my stomach yeah. uh, when I didn't have money. But um, yeah, like that was my main thing was just to learn as much as possible and be good at everything. Like know what an f stop on the camera is, know how to light things, know what kind of, know how loud the sound can get before it peaks, you know, like all that stuff. Yeah. And I know it now. Now I don't, I mean, I use it, but not as often. Because I've worked in every part of the production. Right.
1: Slowly but surely, you, you you know every aspect of what you need to know. Yeah. And you know what everybody else's job is, which gives you a huge, huge leg
0: up. Yeah. I can scream at the sound guy when he's not recording because I'm like, I know how this device works. It's not recording. You know? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't do that. But like, uh, it's. I had a very well-rounded education in film, but it also meant sleeping in very uncom- uncomfortable places for a long time. Yeah. Um, like right, yeah, I'm
1: sorry it's coming together for you now pretty well I mean you've been working pretty steadily for, for oh, a yeah. little bit
0: now, well right? literally it was my 32nd birthday I got a call to uh, work on a prank show and that was only it was like supposed to be two weeks mm-hmm. and then it turned into five and a half months and they had me um, uh, writing producing directing mm-hmm. acting in bits
1: this is also at MTV yeah MTV
0: International show is out if you're in any country but the United States please watch Bugging Out <laughs> Yeah, you'll see me pranking people, which is, that was, that's like a whole other thing to get over. Because I did, you know, I used to prank people when I was a kid. I was like a shithead skateboarder and it was like, all we did was like fuck with cops constantly. And uh, any type of authority was like what I went after. And Mm -hmm. I still feel like I've learned that that's my comedy is like, oh, you're a hypocritical person that has an authority, like some sort of authoritative power fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to figure out how to like take you down or like become you. Like I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but like Colbert to me was huge in college because he took on this like right Bill O'Reilly voice right. and showed how kind of stupid it was. He right.
1: became the thing he was
0: making fun of. Yeah. And I always felt like that was way more powerful than being like, I'm better than you. I'm going to talk down. To you. Like, I don't like that. Yeah. I get it. But at the same time, like where I grew up, there's a lot of people that believe that yeah. I haven't, I have an aunt that's like, hardcore tea partier. Um, I shouldn't get into it too much, but it's like, it's a thing that I can't wrap my head around, but then I have to like, be like, this is a family member. Why does she think this way? Why does she support this person? I think it's dumb, but it's my family. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't like shut that out of my life. I don't want to, even though I think it's crazy. And then we'll get in fights and then she'll yell at me because I had Obamacare at one point in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm terrible for having, you know, whatever. It just makes me feel bad. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, right. I don't even know. There's this that stuff. Yeah. I don't want
1: so to... So we have to start wrapping up in a oh, second, yes, but, but um, yeah, like in a couple of minutes. Okay. Uh, um, do you have like the big project that you're looking towards? Is it kind of like slowly but steadily like inching towards what you want to be doing or do you have like <laughs> like, like the big script that you like have had in mind for years like what what is like the Matt Weir <laughs> dr- you know, like what would be your breakout thing in your mind what would be the thing that that would put you on the map
0: oh uh I don't know that I think for me it's like I just want to like keep working and doing this because I have fun doing it yeah. and there's always like a motivation to like not go back to a trucking dock or not pick up another mannequin or whatever like yeah. again it's like a lot of like crappy blue collar work that just feels like that's what i'm supposed to do because that's what my family did Mm -hmm. um that's a big hurdle to get over mentally but uh i think for um a project like i really want to do something um animated at some point like matt b really dove into that at some point in his life with uh, cool cars and science which is a great series that you guys should check out you can see that on youtube right yeah it's on youtube um but uh there's just I, I feel like I know so many talented people that are great voice actors and have a few ideas I've kicked around, but, uh, that's just like, th- there's something about the voice I've developed, especially with Matt. And then on my own that I feel is very cartoony. And, uh, that's kind of lately I've been like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. Even though it's like a huge pain in the ass trying to animate, which is something I've been trying to learn poorly. But, uh, um, Yeah, I feel like that's it. And then, I don't know. Like, I I never know. I feel like I change or, like, I try to act like an adult. And I'm like, oh, Aziz did that very adult show. I should try to do that. And then I'm like, nah, I'm a fucking jokester at heart. Yeah. Like, can't take it seriously. Yeah. I don't know.
1: It's pretty kick-ass. Like, you look back at, like, stuff you were drawing when you were six or, like, videos that you were making in high school and stuff. And you see, like, the seeds of what you want to do for the rest of your life in it. Yeah. There's something about that that I really love that, like, if you need some direction on where you feel like you should be going, it's not a bad idea to kind of like look backwards at, like, before you had it in mind that, that they were like, that you had to work for a living. Yeah. When it was just uh. kind of like you're purely sketching shit in a notebook for no reason other than you're bored and, and you're letting your mind go. Yeah. You find like those like trace elements in it of like, what you really want to be doing are in there. The stuff that you really care about is like in there somewhere. Yeah.
0: Well, there's that, I, I would say that there's things I always come back to that. I'm like, oh, this is such a strong idea. Why can't I like flush it out more? Like maybe I'm missing something cause I'm too narrowly. But my, my uh, view for this project is too narrow. Maybe I have to open it up a little more. And that's something like that I constantly do where I'm like, I'm churning the ideas in my head that I've written down or like scripted out and I'm like, no, nah, it just doesn't work yet. That's not it. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Yeah. It's just something that I hope will hit as we all do, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, we're pleasure talking with you, man. Lewis Cornfield Thank for
0: you. for being here, dude. Uh, listen to our podcast, uh, atrocities, Great atrocities of the 20th Great century Derek,
1: right after this. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's heavy. It's real bad.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also, um, When you see me, please tell me that my work is like diarrhea water, since that's how I describe (laughs) everything I do. Thanks.
1: Uh, Anything you want to plug before we go?
0: Um, Oh, if I can, if this is okay. I I run a um, a once-a-month comedy show at the Industry City Distillery in Brooklyn. It's called Cat House. Um, It's a mix of stand-up and characters. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a, at a vodka distillery, so uh bring your friends and family and come get drunk and watch comedy
1: cool, yeah uh can you bring like your own like empty bottle and like load up on vodka? Uh, can you bring like I'm a what? like a like a um a growler of for vodka?
0: maybe I don't know the guy that runs it seems pretty cool, he's nice to us, so sweet maybe, but sweet. they bake it all there there's like all these like little science rooms with vodka beakers and stuff.
1: So. Science vodka. Science vodka. Gets you real fucked up with a minimum of hangover the next day. Yeah,
0: time. I think that's how what Albert Einstein drank before he made the A-bomb. So,
1: <laughs> yes. Which we'll be talking about on our other podcast, Great Atrocities of the 20th Century. Yeah, so I just want to for that.
0: plug that real quick. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> thanks, Matt. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening. A couple of other big thank yous, of course, to our producer, Evan Ford-Barden, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our executive oh. producer, Ed Herbstman, and to all of the good people here in New York. City, the only city on the East Coast as far as I'm concerned. Uh, thank you, everybody for listening. Give us a positive shout-out if you enjoyed this episode on iTunes. We sure do appreciate it. Um, thanks once more to today's guest, Matt J. Weir.
0: Thank you, Lewis. Uh, Harrisburg East Shore represent.
1: East Shore. Please find Max us. Tang. Follow the conversation on Magna Theater's Twitter feed to find out just what Matt is talking about. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye! You've
0: been listening to The Magnet Podcast
1: This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at MagnetTheater.com.